Welcome to Sane Split, a podcast about staying sane when relationships end. I am AJ Jakubowska, family law lawyer and mediator. Just like you, I'm human. I understand what can happen when people separate. Lots of questions swirling around like confetti. Lots of uncertainty, perhaps anger, disappointment, or even pain. Sleepless nights, shallow breathing. Will I ever be happy again? Will the kids be okay? How much is all this going to cost? All of these questions are human and you're not alone. This podcast features my thoughts about separation and my interviews with other humans who help people when their relationships end. People who assist with legal issues, who mediate, who look after hearts and minds, and even after the pocketbook. People who might help you plan your future. What you will hear is not legal advice. These are dialogues primarily about the human aspect of separation. We will try to stay away from legal lingo. It's humans talking to humans. I hope that something you hear will help you navigate your way to a sane split. Welcome and thanks for tuning in. Now that summer's almost over, at least coming to a close on September 22nd in the Northern Hemisphere, many people are taking the step to separate. Yes, many family law lawyers report that their phones are starting to ring more and more frequently after Labor Day. But it's not just recent splits. Those who separated earlier often take a bit of a hiatus over the summer holidays, particularly if they have children. And then once the school holidays conclude, they want to resume working through the issues. They contact their lawyer again, catch up, make plans to move forward with their case. It's all very common. It's an opportune time for me to talk about one of my favorite subjects professionally, and that is family mediation. If you are recently separated or are considering separating, and even if your relationship ended some time ago and you are already dealing with the outstanding issues with kids, property, support, consider family mediation. Consider it seriously. If you end up in court, you will hear judges talk about it very openly. And in fact, even before you end up in court and you are starting a court case by completing the required paperwork, your lawyer is expected to talk to you about mediation, to let you know it's available, what it is, how it works, and so on. You will be expected to confirm in your court paperwork that you know about mediation and that you have considered it. So don't wait until then, perhaps until you have already spent a lot of money on exchanging letters back and forth. Ask yourself early, soon after the separation, is mediation right for me, for the other side? Is this a process from which we can both benefit. And importantly, will our kids do better in the end if their parents reach settlement through mediation? 
I will say with no hesitation, family mediation leads to better outcomes, both in the short and long term. It's not available in every situation, in every case. And your mediator is expected to screen both you and the other side to ensure there are no impediments, no elements to your case that call for other ways of addressing your issues by means other than mediation. But for the vast majority of cases, it is possible to mediate and you should consider that option seriously. With family mediation and the spotlight, and here I mean more people are talking about it actively, it's become apparent that the process is not altogether clear to many members of the public. They have many questions. This is understandable. After all, where would they learn about the process? I think kids should be taught about mediation in school, that it's a terrific way to resolve problems, any disputes in fact, not just those in the context of separation. Because mediation is used in a wide variety of fields, in employment, in labor disputes, in commercial disputes, in cases involving neighbors. We have elder mediation for situations involving family members of different generations and the needs of an elderly person where the parties to the dispute cannot agree. We have estates mediation where there are fights between relatives related to wills and other estates matters. Mediation has very wide application and it's a kinder, gentler, more participatory way of resolving many types of disputes. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's always polite, but it's a more holistic way of settling arguments, disagreements. And that is why I think the concept should be taught in school. And children should learn early on that when there is disagreement, an argument, a difference of opinion that needs to be addressed, mediation, dialogue should be the default. These five questions I'm about to pose and the five answers I'm about to provide are very, very common. And that is why I selected them from among many questions asked about family mediation. I want to play an active part in teaching the public about the concept, in spreading information about it, because I truly believe in mediation. So here we go. Question number one. If we go to mediation, will the mediator make decisions for us? if my ex and I cannot agree? The answer is no. The mediator is not a decision maker. He or she is a facilitator of a dialogue between the parties to a dispute. Our training as mediators allows us to moderate and often direct, organize the discussion between two people who cannot agree on something. Sometimes they simply do not know where to start, how to approach the conversation in the first place. 
or they have tried and it just spins out of control. It ends up being an exercise in blame, for example. They know they want to and can get back to a reasonable, productive dialogue, but they need help getting there. And this is where the mediator comes in. We have skills that allow us to help smooth the path to dialogue. Sometimes it's slow going, no question about it. The pace at which a mediation proceeds really depends on the parties and their ability to communicate effectively. Sometimes bridges have to be rebuilt, but in many cases that is possible and dialogue can flow. We can take steps toward agreement and eventually settlement. So no, the mediator does not make decisions for the parties. The parties themselves do that together with the mediator's help. Question number two. So if the mediator is not going to decide for us, solve our dispute, but a judge will, why would we want to waste money on mediation? We might as well go straight to court. I have a lot to say on this subject. When I tell you I could go on and on and on with the answer to that question, I really mean it. To understand the tremendous benefits of mediation, it helps to know a bit about the alternative, which is usually court. Court is a process in which ultimately, if the parties cannot agree, a judge makes a decision for them or several decisions if there is more than one issue in dispute. And who is a family court judge? A stranger to the family, someone who learns about it, the parties, the children, from either court papers submitted by each side or, in some cases, from hearing them speak as witnesses at trial. Court means essentially handing over decisions about your future and those of your children to a stranger who has never met the children about whom he or she will be making decisions. Yes, I need to stress that there are cases in which a court decision is absolutely necessary and no amount of mediation will help resolve the dispute. But in the vast majority of cases, dialogue can help and even family courts have a bit of that process built into them. We call that the case management system where family court judges at conferences try and help the parties resolve at least some of their issues. But you first have to start a court case to even get to a case conference, which is the first type of conference you will have in a typical family law case. And that is expensive. Remember, your lawyer or you yourself, if you act on your own, will have to prepare, serve on the other side, and then file with the court sufficient paperwork to tell the court what your dispute is about, what you are asking the court to do for you, and on what legal basis. These materials are not short or simple to prepare. They require attention, sometimes strategy, consideration of the legal issues involved. 
So I have so far identified two benefits of family mediation over court. And let me clarify what those are and comment a bit more. Number one, family mediation is generally cheaper than court. That's it. That's the benefit. Number two, in family mediation, if you are able to settle, you and the other side are the authors of your settlement. And that can be very powerful, particularly for parents. It usually means they are more likely to stick to the agreement they made because they participated in its creation. It was not imposed on them like it would be in court if a family court judge had to make the decision. In such situations, there is usually someone who is very happy and someone who is not happy. When court decisions are made, there's often a winner and a loser. And that can polarize the parties and their positions even further. Again, sometimes that is necessary, the involvement of family court, because a child's well-being is impacted if no decision is made to solve the problem. But statistically, agreements arrived at through dialogue and consensus have a much longer shelf life. Why? Again, because both parties have ownership of that agreement. They arrived at it together. They had their say, had a chance to voice their points of view and concerns in a dynamic, meaningful way. That does not happen in court if a judge is hearing a motion or a trial, for example. Not in the same way it does in mediation. Here is benefit number three, time. For many reasons about which I will not comment here, the court process is a lot slower than mediation. And this is particularly true since the onset of the pandemic. Mediation is usually a lot faster. And what I mean here is that the first session can be organized as soon as the mediator, the parties and their lawyers, if they have any, are available. And then the tempo, the pace at which it proceeds, depends on the parties themselves and their ability to work through the issues. In short answer to question number two, again, I could go on and on about this for some time. There are many, many benefits to mediation as compared to court. Question number three, who pays for family mediation? The answer is the parties do, and they generally split the cost equally. Let me clarify a bit here. If each party has their own lawyer, then that party is responsible for his or her lawyer's fees. When I say they split the cost, I mean the cost of the mediator, the person who will be assisting them with their dialogue. Some mediators charge for their services on an hourly basis. Some are paid in blocks of time. I have chosen the hourly fee model because from my perspective, if we can settle a matter in two hours, those will be the hours charged to the parties, not a block fee for a whole day, for example. But block fees are another option for sure. Question number four, 
How long will the mediation take? Before I answer that question, let me ask you a few of my own, because I need more information to be able to answer. How many issues are there to resolve? Are they all of the same complexity? Are there any issues on which you two are absolutely stuck and cannot get through? And those are the deal breakers, so to speak. What is your current level of communication? Do you speak freely and comfortably with one another, just cannot agree on things? Or is communication generally difficult and we might have to spend some time on rebuilding communication channels to be able to proceed. Are any of the issues urgent? Is there a court case started? Are there any deadlines that need to be dealt with? I hope you can see by now that the answer to question number four is not straightforward and depends on the unique features of each case. If a couple has been married for 20 years, have three children, property, debts, a place in Florida, and someone has been out of the workforce for a long time, it's probably unreasonable to expect to settle the entire case in one day. But it is technically possible. It would require lawyers on both sides participating in the negotiation and also smart to the point informative mediation briefs being provided to the mediator ahead of time so she can have a good grasp of the outstanding issues and the party's positions on them before the mediation commences question number five What if I want to try mediation and my ex does not? Can I make him or her participate? The answer is no. Family mediation, in fact, mediation in any context is a voluntary process. People have to come to mediation and participate willingly. In fact, this aspect of mediation is foundational at the very core of the process. No one can be forced into a negotiation against their will based on threats which are obvious or even not so obvious. That is the reason mediators are expected to screen the parties for power and balance, meaning assess by direct contact with each party before the mediation, whether each of the parties is coming to the negotiating table freely and without pressure or duress. And only once that is determined, the mediation can proceed. Otherwise, any bargain struck, any settlement might not be fair to one side because they would be forced into it. I appreciate your listening to this episode of the Sane Split podcast and giving me an opportunity to talk about uh, one of my favorite subjects. I truly believe that family mediation is a viable option for many Ontarians and I encourage you to look into it 
if you are considering separation or even if you separated some time ago. Because after all, it's making any attempts possible to navigate your way to a sane split. Thank you for listening. I hope you will tune in again. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me through my website, separationinontario.com. Subscribing to the podcast through your favorite app will make future episodes available to you automatically. Signing off for now.